You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I am CJ Wolf with Healthicity, and today's guest is a good colleague and friend, Melanie Sponholtz. Welcome, Mel. Hi, nice to be here. We are so grateful to have you here, and um, we I think this topic is a topic we've never talked about on the podcast, so I'm looking forward to it. But before we get to the topic, we love to hear from our guests. Tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, personally, professionally, whatever you want to say, you know, how'd you end up in compliance? What are you doing? All that kind of good stuff. Okay. Um, so um, I uh, got into compliance. I was voluntold into compliance initially. So, yes. And I know that's not an uncommon story, right? Um, but right. I, <laughs> I started in healthcare, um, I guess 20 years ago as a physical therapist. Um, cool. And I, I treated patients for a number of years. And then I took a, a, a more of a management role in the area of quality assurance and professional development. I had, I had a pit stop first. I could say I, I went into ops for a little while first. There you go. Um, doing some oversight of, a, of a, a large number of clinicians. And then from there went into QA. And that's where yeah. I was when um, when I got voluntold to please create a compliance program for the company that I was with. And, uh, and it stuck. So um, I stayed in compliance. I eventually switched to other areas of healthcare. I spent a big chunk of time in home infusion. Uh, and that's where I was when Wad Capital Partners, where I am now, found me. And they actually found me because of my PT background, because they had just acquired an outpatient PT organization and, and were looking for advice about that. And I'm you know, connected with them and, and the rest is history. So um, they created this role for me um, because they, they invest in two sectors healthcare and uh, software and technology. And because they realize that compliance is really an integral part of healthcare, they had been thinking about bringing on someone to help provide strategic oversight and support in that area to their healthcare portfolio. And when we connected, we started talking about what that might look like. And I decided to give it a try. And now six years later, um, here I am. And it's been Really interesting, you know, working with anywhere from six to eight uh, portfolio companies at a time and supporting their compliance teams and helping them live in the, you know, building the plane in the air mode when you're acquiring. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the thumbnail sketch of my compliance career. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's we're going to talk about kind of private equity in healthcare and compliance. And, and you're an expert there. Before we get to that, though. I thought it was so interesting just in how you kind of landed in compliance. What what made you stay in compliance? I'm just kind of curious, like what things did, what things like were like, okay, yeah, I think I found a good place. You know, I think it's a couple of things. I think 
some of the same reasons I liked quality assurance in that I feel that both quality assurance and compliance are tied to good patient care. So they still support the reasons I went into healthcare to begin with, which is to get that good outcome for patients at the end of the day. So I, I I like to highlight and I, and I think the ability to communicate that connection helps me get compliance accomplished in an organization where I need to convince other professionals in that area, you know, clinical professionals that this is important stuff. So I think it's helped me in that area. Um, and, and also, um, I, I just think people have a misconception about what compliance is and too many people see it as some kind of, um, all investigation focused enforcer kind of area. And I like to counter that and, and be a business partner and, and a cheerleader and a supporter so that maybe I can you know, change that perception of compliance a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you point that out because in, you know, in the short time we've known each other, I was going to say, that's really my um, perception of, of one of your greatest strengths is you seem to be a strategic partner with, with the people you work with, as opposed to, like you said, you know, oh, here comes compliance. What are the oddity today? I, and you can correct me because, you know, I don't know the the inner workings of what you do, but it does seem like you have a good seat at the table, right? And you're you're there kind of from strategy and business leadership. I mean, is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it's been really um, it's been really fantastic the access that I have to our boards and executive teams. So I I really have the opportunity to sit in on the board meetings for all of our healthcare portfolio companies. I mean, in most cases with their own internal, you know, compliance leadership, you know, I'm not pinch hitting in that role, but I'm still seen as that added strategic perspective. Um, And it's, it's really been um, fantastic. And I think it's helped the compliance leadership at our companies too, because I'm seen in that light as kind of a board level support and it right. brings them to the table as well in a way that, you know, maybe doesn't always happen. So yeah, it's been, yeah. it's been great. I feel like we have a lot of access and, and support. That's awesome. Well, let's maybe just set the stage and you can kind of educate me as well as our listeners. <laughs> um, no, you know, in healthcare, like just historically, like big picture, right? Like healthcare, started, you know, in the United States, you know, usually coming like from maybe like a religious institution, right? Or like um, volunteer groups. And, and so there's a lot in healthcare that's kind of this nonprofit, sec- nonprofit sector, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we know that there's a for-profit uh, uh, footprint in, in healthcare too, hospitals, for-profit hospitals, et cetera. And, you know, this may be my misperception, but is private equity like just getting into healthcare more? Have they been there all along and I wasn't aware of it? Can you maybe just set the stage a little bit of what role they play and, and maybe give a little timeline if, if, if you know it? Well, I, I think they've been in it for quite some time. I mean, I can't claim to have deep knowledge of the timeline 
you know, prior to, I, I worked for an equity owned home infusion company prior to coming to Wad Capital. So maybe okay. it's been eight or nine years total that I've been somewhere in the space. Um, I, I do think uh, there's a lot more private equity in healthcare over the last 10 years. But I think prior to that, there were, there was still private equity that was um, more focused potentially in the publicly traded arena. Um, right. and, and then more recently, more in the private markets. But I think, CJ, that um, some of what you mentioned in the historical sense um, explains somewhat why private equity has moved into this space. Uh, because I think, you know, for good reason, you had a lot of healthcare organizations that were founded by healthcare professionals. And as they grow, you know, someone who may be a fabulous healthcare professional may create an organization that at some point reaches a critical mass where it it really requires or could really benefit from, I should say, you know, more the background of someone who has expertise in finance or procurement or operations. And yeah. so it it lends itself well to being an area where you can make a company more profitable and grow it because you you have the opportunity to go in and create a lot of efficiencies and and you know gain that um size and geographical footprint through acquisition that give you more buying power and procurement areas and um, that make you a better, a more attractive partner for payers because you can reach more lives because you're a right. bigger organization. So there's a, there's a lot that is attractive in the ability to take the smaller pieces and build with them. Yeah. I really like the way you said that too, because, you know, there are, you know, the clinicians that that might have some business acumen but you know i went to med school and we didn't have a single business class so again that was many years ago maybe things have changed but to your point people can be great clinicians but they might not have the time um maybe they would be good at it but they want to focus on clinical work and right. to your point there are people who do this for a living right like they are good at finance they're good at marketing they're good at growth and you know financially strong healthcare organizations can probably serve more people and better, right? Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't really shy away from kind of the financial strength as a, as a good, you know, and growth because it, it could lead to, as you mentioned, a bigger footprint and, and affecting more people. Right. Right. Yeah. So what, so from a compliance standpoint, then maybe, because you're seeing things maybe from two different perspectives uh, uh, and if it's true, maybe we can talk about both. Like you're seeing, cause you're, you know, the chief compliance officer. So you're seeing these portfolio companies. And so you might be, I'm assuming you'd be involved. Like when, uh, when one invests in a company, you'd probably be a part of the due diligence. Um, but also you're seeing how the compliance is being done at each kind of company. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Do you have both those perspectives? Yeah. So um, I do. I work through, we call it working through the whole life cycle of the investment. So okay. it starts with our due diligence when we're considering partnering with an organization. And at that stage of the game, I help um, engage those that are going to 
do the due diligence reviews on the healthcare regulatory side. And that can be the, uh, the legal team. It can be the documentation and coding review. It could be privacy reviews, cybersecurity reviews, all those fun things. Um, so I help scope those and, and work with the teams that are working on those work streams to help us, um, you know, first of all, find any red flags that might you know, make you um, consider not partnering with an organization, but also, uh, and maybe even more importantly, making sure we have a good understanding of what we'll want to do post-close. So integration planning and from a compliance standpoint, you know, what, what will we want to do to build that program once we're working with that organization? So I start there and then uh, depending on the organization, I mean, some of them have a big compliance team already. Others, you know, have a lot of good elements of compliance, but maybe not a, a robust formal seven elements program yet. So whatever they need, you know, I can either be a resource for their existing team, or I can help the executive team and the board as they try to hire to create that internal team and serve as kind of a pinch hitter in the meantime, while we're getting their internal team built. Um, and then I stick around, you know, for as long as they're with us to help. Um, I know you came to our uh, our annual compliance symposium. You were a speaker this year, but we do that every year for our, all of our portfolio compliance teams. We have a, a compliance symposium with a lot of awesome speakers and, and continuing education that's targeted for our team. And then that same team, we, we meet every week on Fridays and talk about hot topics and have guest speakers. And I think maybe my team reached out to you about joining us for one of those coming up too, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah, um, have, yeah. Yeah. So we do all kinds of stuff with our teams throughout the life cycle and then also getting them ready for an eventual exit transaction. So making sure yeah. that they're prepared to go through due diligence again when it's it's time for them to transition. So yeah, this is so fascinating. Um, I'm going to ask you some more questions, but we're going to take a really quick break um, and we'll be right back. If it seems like the OIG is constantly making work plan updates, it's because, well, they are. Who has the time to stay up on all those new changes? We do. Each month, CJ Wolf issues a monthly OIG work plan e-brief to make it easy for you to keep up with all the updates coming your way. Head over to healthicity.com slash resources to check out e-briefs, webinars, blogs, and so much more. Now let's get back to CJ for the rest of this episode of Compliance Conversations. Welcome back, everybody, from the break. Um, we uh, are talking about um, kind of some of the unique environments and, and uh, concepts when it comes to kind of private equities involvement in healthcare and, and maybe the compliance implications there. And we're talking to Melanie. And um, one, one thing I was thinking as you were just answering that, that other question before the break was you probably see like best practices and maybe some things that aren't so great because you're, you're you're evaluating compliance programs right from in, in these different companies and so you're almost like a consultant in a way um where you're seeing you know best practices in certain areas is, is that true are you are you able to like see the good and and the the bad in some of those areas and then maybe on the on the best practices share that with the with the other companies in your portfolios yeah, yeah, I do. I feel like I learn 
you know, three years worth every year that I'm in this job because I am working with so many companies. And then, you know, even within those companies, as they are looking at potential add-on acquisitions, I'm seeing lots of those every year too. So we really do see the gamut. Um, I I think what's encouraging is I, I think a lot of what we see are people with really um, good starts and good intentions in the area of compliance that, you know, that really will flourish with more formal programming and resources. Um, mm -hmm. I think I think the biggest struggle and the the one area that I've learned to point out is that um, you know when you're doing an add-on acquisition of a a really small organization, you know, say it's a a two-position practice or something. Right. And when I first started, I would see the inclination to be, oh, well, can't we kind of do a due diligence light on this because it's such a small practice, right. but that's where you need the most work usually. Right. So because yes. usually that's a place that didn't have the staff or the resources or, you know, the expertise to have a compliance program yet. And a lot of times there are folks who might still be on paper records. And there's lots of reasons why that's exactly who you want to do some diligence on because they're probably going to need the most help post closed to get up to speed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what kind of, I mean, and this doesn't have to be specific to, obviously it doesn't have to be specific to the companies you work with, but in general in compliance, what kind of risks are you seeing out there um, in, in the spaces that either you have knowledge of? What are some trends? What, are there any, any things that stick out? I know this is kind of putting you on the spot. If not, that's fine. <laughs> no, I think that's a fair question. I, and I don't think it, you know, any of this would be unique to our, our uh, companies, uh, for sure. I think cybersecurity is probably one of the top risks to every company yeah. in healthcare because the, the information you can get uh, if you're a hacker from a healthcare company is, is so much more valuable than you know maybe what you might get from credit card numbers even because it, it isn't detected as quickly when you get it. So um, you know just trying to educate around that um, as well as privacy um, because privacy is such a growing area of focus and it's not just HIPAA anymore. There's lots of focus on um, consumer protection. Yes and non-HIPAA related privacy. And there's more and more states that have their own approach to privacy that you need to be aware of. And then even in the most recent update to the DOJ evaluation of corporate compliance programs, you know, they're talking about, do you know how your teams are using apps to communicate? And, That's you know, right. do you, you know, so I think there's a lot of focus there. And then of course, as you and I have talked about before, you know, you're you're never going to escape a top risk being just your coding and billing, right? And right. you know, are, are you auditing effectively? You know, do you have an internal audit program that's risk based? So you find things. Are you educating well? Um, so I, I think those are some of the areas. Um, and then the third. So if it's privacy and security, coding and billing, the third area I would say is just referral source interaction yeah. um those, those are the three top areas and i think that's across probably most of healthcare yeah i was just gonna say you know i do a lot of work with clients and those really are the three biggest I, so it almost doesn't really matter what you know your the business background or or structure is 
those are the risks, right? Because yeah, like you, yeah. you mentioned, patient information is so valuable. Uh, privacy, you know, just the the expectation from the public in general, even outside of healthcare, you know, privacy laws are uh, becoming more and more important and people are becoming more sensitive to that. And yeah, yeah. of course, billing and coding, you, you follow the money, right? It's like, <laughs> those are claims and they got to be done right. And and then the, the you know, financial relationships are always an issue with potential anti-kickback or stark types of things. Well, I guess if you're, you know, thinking about that update to the DOJ guidance, uh, the other area we all need to start thinking about is our compensation structures. Yes, structures. Yep. Yeah. I read that. And I thought that was so interesting, right? Like, because they're they're trying to focus in on that individual accountability and and having individuals feel the weight um, so they can't just, you know, make a lot of money and escape the, the consequences if they did it inappropriately. Yeah. And and how are you incentivizing people too, both positively and negatively? Is there connection to compliance with the way you're using incentives? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Have you seen, so, you know, I've been, you've been doing compliance a long time. I've been, you know, doing it for 23, 24 years. Um, you know, and when I first started, you know, technology, you know, we had spreadsheets and paper and pencil and that sort of thing. Are you seeing more usage of, of technology? Like we hear from OIG and DOJ that they're doing a lot of data analytics. Um, are you seeing much improvement, you know, just kind of big picture from when you first started compliance or are more people doing and using data analytics and technology to help run their compliance programs? Definitely. Um, I, I, I don't. It really wasn't a focus, you know, 15 years ago. And now I think it's becoming table stakes. You know, you have to figure it out. You can't, you can't avoid it anymore. Um, right. So, you know, like when we came up with our agenda for our symposium last year, we partnered up with the data analytics team from um, Jefferson Health System in Philly. Um, okay. who they have this really cool team there that um, that liaises with their clinical professionals and their compliance team to help um, put take the data that's available to the system and come up with useful ways to use it based on what you know the risks that the professionals are or the compliance team are trying to look at. So we did a whole workshop with them trying to figure out, how can you take data that's available to you in your organization and make that useful from a compliance standpoint? Right. And um, right. one of our companies, I thought this was really interesting. I was just talking to them a couple of weeks ago, and they're trying to come up with a ticketing system kind of similar to what you would find with you know an IT help desk ticketing system to use for uh, compliance okay. help. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, if you have high volume, that makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, it's really interesting. And they're trying to figure out how can you build some algorithms to prioritize different, you know, different requests and just, you know, help streamline the process for people to make it, you know, Im improve customer satisfaction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that, yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, like I, and I think of uh, AI, you know, where is that going to take us like that? to me is still kind of future, but not too far future. <laughs> so artificial intelligence, right? Like what can it do to help us in compliance? Yeah, we're doing um, a cybersecurity event next week and um, Shuba, one of my teammates, 
used AI herself, and she's a compliance person, she's not an IT person, and she was able to use AI to generate a phishing email that looked like it came from Wad Capital Partners. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Oh, yeah. Yes, I mean, that could be a way that we could use it. Like, I'm not an expert at all. I've just heard these anecdotal things, but that just, like, makes me think of what what could you how could you use it to make your lives and jobs easier right that's so cool um yeah you know the other thing um i wanted to to kind of ask about is um are you seeing just kind of just the i'm talking about the profession of compliance um you know it's a relatively young profession Mm -hmm. you know you know accountants have been around forever attorneys forever but are, are you seeing more acceptance as compliance as like a legitimate profession uh, in, in the companies you interact with? You mentioned that most of them have programs. Some might you know, have elements, but maybe not a compliance officer. Um, what, thoughts on kind of just compliance as a profession? Yeah, I, I do. It's interesting because I think a lot of the compliance leaders of, of, you know, our vintage, if you want to call it that, I think, you know, never, never set out to be in compliance. It just kind of evolved that way through other, you know, career decisions. But I, I do see more and more people entering it as a conscious choice now from, from when they're in college and grad school. And, you know, for instance, I, I uh, teach a course for Fordham, School of Law's uh, Master's in Compliance program. And those are students who are setting out intentionally to go into compliance careers. So it's it's definitely, and I know there's similar programs at Seton Hall, I think, and Loyola and Chicago, and I'm sure there's others too, but there's a lot of people making conscious decisions to do it now. Well, Melanie, this has been uh, so fun and I could talk to you all day and we will, right? We've yeah, we will see. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for our listeners, you know, uh, we're going to kind of wrap up here in a few minutes. I, I, but I want to give you an opportunity to share anything else that you think uh, might be important. Um, maybe something I didn't ask you. Um, anything. You have any last minute thoughts as we're getting to wrap up here? Let me think. Well, I mean, I encourage people to, uh, I encourage other compliance professionals not to uh, be um, too afraid to maybe try compliance at a private equity backed company. I know, you know, there, there's a lot of anti PE and healthcare sentiment out there, but I think, you know, it's just like any other healthcare organization where as a compliance professional, you need to assess whether there's a culture there that supports compliance, but it can be a really exciting place to work because it's, it's fast paced and you learn a lot about doing evaluations of programs and building new programs as you add on companies. So it can be really rewarding as a compliance professional. So I guess that would be my, my plug for, for not being too hesitant to give it a try. Yeah. You know, and I, I really agree with you. Like I've worked in for-profit companies. I've worked in not-for-profit companies, um, healthcare, and it, it doesn't really matter. Like if the culture's not there, like you were saying, like, there's a whole lot of settlements and nonprofits too, right? Like people uh-huh. that leadership made bad choices. And so I, I don't think it's necessarily the, 
the space, it's more, you know, what's the culture, what's the leadership like? So I, I totally agree with you there. Well, this has been great. And we really appreciate you sharing a little bit about this area. We, a lot of people don't know a lot about it, including myself. And so um, I really appreciate it. I think you just introduced yourself one day at a, a you know, as we were going to the healthcare compliance conference and, and uh, we've kind of hit it off. And I really appreciate just the way that you approach the profession and approach colleagues. And uh, so I, I think you're, I just really appreciate your approach to those things. Well, thanks so much, DJ. Right back at you. And uh, I hope I'll be seeing you soon in Anaheim. Absolutely. We'll be there. And um, for all our listeners, we hope that you will be there. And maybe by the time this airs, we will already have had it. And so um, we're we're uh, hoping that it's a, it's a great conference. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, if you know of people that uh, you think would make great guests, please reach out to us. Please hit the like button. Um, let us know, uh, you know, what you like, what you don't like, and, and share it with friends. Um, until uh, our next episode, uh, have a great day, everyone. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.